Hello and welcome back to Movie Fixers, the show where we don't just critique movies, but also figure out how to make them just a little better. I'm your host, Tony, and with me always is my co-host, cohort, co-op partner in video games, Matt. It's me, Matt, again, here on the podcast. Yep. Matt Co. Matt Co? Co-Matt. Co-Matt. I'm, I'm your other Matt. Wait, you have another Matt? I wasn't going to tell you it's true. Sorry. <laughs> Podcast canceled. I'm over it. <laughs> I, I think some people might be relieved about that because, Matt, what movie are we fixing today? Okay, so to? today we are doing a movie. Uh, it is an, yet another sequel. We've been doing a lot of sequels lately. Um, or I guess maybe we haven't. We've been doing some sequels lately. Uh, this is the third film in the X-Men, original X-Men uh, series. This is X Men: The Last Stand. Yes, uh, I think everybody's fairly familiar with this one. But Matt, why don't you tell us how this one did uh, box office wise? I know a certain director that was really proud of those numbers. <laughs> um, so the first two movies in this franchise, X One and X Two, X Men and X Two, whatever you want to call them, uh, were directed by Brian Singer. This movie. Uh, the director chair was passed over to Mr. Brett Ratner and it didn't do as well as its predecessors, but it did pretty good. Um, it, it did, let's see, what was its gross? It did $234 million, which is a few million dollars in the U S and then it did about a half a billion dollars, just shy of $500 million, uh, it's full gross for its full run. So not exactly bad, you know. I think the movie probably broke even, but not quite as popular as its predecessors, that's for sure. And it definitely critically wasn't as popular as its predecessors. That's true. Um, before we get into this too much, do you think uh, people will need to see X-Men 1 and 2 or maybe just one of them to, to really know what's going on in this film? Uh, truthfully, yes. Um, I know in some sequels, especially modern sequels, God, it's funny to talk about modern sequels as if this movie is like archaic, but it really is like, what is it, 20 years old? More than that, it's... Well, the first one was in 2000, so it can't be 20 years old. Oh, no, no, but it's math is hard. It's 12 years old. I'm sorry. This came out in 2006. Um, so, yeah, it's hard to say... Yeah, I mean, sorry. The easy answer to your question is yes. I think you need to at least see X1 or X2. I would say probably the first one, see X-Men, because... It definitely does all the heavy lifting of introducing all of these characters and this universe. And especially if you're not a comic book fan, you don't know who Professor X is. And you don't know who Magneto is. That's that's your primer right there to set up who everybody is. Yeah, actually, I think if you're not a comic book fan, you might enjoy this movie more. That's oh, you know, we've already talked about this a little bit. But yeah, that's that's uh, I would agree with that because I think a, a lot of the glaring issues with this movie involve. Well, that's not how they did it in the comics. And not just because like we're whiny comic book people, but because they did it so much better in the comics and it made more sense in the comics, you know? But if you and don't also know about because that we're whiny comic book people. Oh, and we're also definitely whiny comic book people. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's our other title, uh, next to movie fixers. Movie fixers, also known as the whiny comic book people. Whiny comic book people, the podcast. Um, Tony, do you want to do you want to go ahead and move into a synopsis? Yes, I do, but uh, we have something a little special this time because you and I have a bad habit of 
taking almost as long as the movie runs to recap the movie. So yeah, we got help this time. last episode was by far like our longest synopsis in the history of synopses. Yeah, sorry about that. And we still it left some bits out. It was quite longer than the actual movie, but man, we sure did try, didn't we? We were, we were just trying to recount it step by step. Um, so what we have th- for this episode is our friend Jess, who some of you may know from the timeline episode of Movie Fixers. Um, she is going to hopefully be helping us out with more synopses going forward. She, I'm going to, I apologize to you, Jess, if you're listening to this, you sent me your notes for the synopsis for this, and you did not have a chance to clean them up the way that you would want to, because you're an excellent, amazing writer, which is why we asked you to do this in the first place. But I'm going to use your notes with a little bit of Matt Goat improv and some Tony commentary, and we're going to pull this synopsis together into something really special and unique. That sounds amazing. I, th- I think that's the perfect combination. Jess Aducci writing, Matt Goad improv, and, and Tony commentary. And, that's... and Tony background snark. It's going to be so good. Mm-hmm. I can't wait. Why don't you go ahead and kick us off? All right. Let's get started on the synopsis. The movie opens on a flashback of Charles Xavier, also known as Professor X, and Eric, what's his last name? Lencher. Lencher, I'm, who's also I'm Magneto. Lencher. They are meeting a very badass Jean Grey, who we've met in previous movies. Now, um, did she say badass or did you say badass? Just she just said the she said meeting a badass Jean Grey, and she's not oh, wrong. Okay, she's okay. she's meeting a young version of Jean Grey, or they're meeting a young version of Jean Grey that's super badass. She's like lifting up cars in the street, whatever. There's also a cameo of Stanley in this scene for those that are keeping track of that sort of thing. We then get to a flashback of a character named Angel, who as a child is in his bathroom trying to saw his own wings off because he's ashamed of being a mutant. His dad busts in on him and he's just like, um, not my son. And he's just like, I'm so sorry, dad. I didn't mean to be a mutant. And that's how that scene goes. Then there's a credit sequence and there's something clearly being synthesized. Spoilers for everyone. It is the cure for mutantism. How do you synthesize a mutant cure? I feel like it would be more of a rock ballad. (laughs) that's okay that's too much reel it in there all right we are back to the present day the x-men as we've met in the last two movies are fighting sentinels this is a really exciting moment for comic book nerds because they fought sentinels a lot especially in the 90s cartoon and they were awesome they're basically giant robots wolverine and storm are supervising colossus kitty pride rogue iceman and they're in the danger room this is also the first time we've seen the danger room in the entire film series and it's super cool um, Wolverine's supposed to be teaching a lesson on teamwork. He's not doing a great job because he's Wolverine and he's just like, I don't know, Colossus, throw me at the Sentinel. And he makes some quippy comment about how um, best uh, defense is a good offense. And Storm's just like, ah, Logan. Then we see Scott, who is the previous leader of the X-Men, but he's definitely checked out and he is super distraught over Jean Grey, who in the last movie died a horrible death. And he thinks he can hear Spoilers. her voice. Yeah, well, if you haven't watched X1 or X2, then this is really a good time to watch those movies. Matt, I just want to go back I just want to go back to one bit. You were talking about the danger room. Do you think Kenny Loggins has ever played the danger room? Danger room. Um, I think when you and I eventually are tasked with remaking all of these movies, Kenny Loggins mm-hmm. will be an integral part of our danger room experience. Yeah. He'll have to take the highway to the danger room, but Oh my god. <laughs> so anyway, what's what's uh, what's the good old Cyclops, my favorite X Men ever, up to? He's just really distraught because Jean Grey's dead, and he thinks he can hear her voice. Um, Rogue and Iceman have a spat because Rogue is in love with Iceman, but Iceman's like making eyes at Kitty Pride, and Scott apparently is now the new Wolverine, 
all like broody and solo and Wolverine is sort of the new Scott who's like sort of responsible and taking charge of the school. Uh, Beast, who we have not seen yet. That does happen yet. in the comics at one point. You that say is it totally all, like, true. Yeah. That's totally true. Beast, who has yet to be introduced in this film series, is now introduced, pay, played by Kelsey Grammer. Um, he is has a government position as like liaison to the mutants or something like that, and he's at a meeting where he finds out that they've captured Mystique, who again we've met in previous movies. She's like a shapeshifter. Uh, they are looking for Magneto, who is you know basically the big bad mutant in all these movies. Uh, Mystique has stolen something from the Food and Drug Administration, and it is not the secret to the Colonel's secret recipe. It is no, something that, else. That's locked away in a much tighter vault. Right. I don't even think the X-Men as a whole team could get that secret recipe. No. Professor X, Charles Xavier, teaches a class on powers and ethics. Uh, Mid-lecture, he senses a disturbance in the force and goes out to talk to Storm, who's outside changing the weather like she does. Uh, they discuss how things are for mutants right now. They're pretty good, but they're still pretty cautious. Beast comes to visit the mansion and tells them there's a cure for being a mutant. Uh, there's a big like political announcement on television. Find out that Alcatraz is going to be where they're going to be treating mutants. Because uh, that's not ominous or you know weird at all. Right. Oh, well, you know what? We can talk about this at a later point, but the Alcatraz location was supposed to be something else in this movie that totally got changed for this movie. It's mm. crazy. Matt, um, Matt, what, did, what, did, what have we been told? Our fans have I told knew, us to you, stop. You don't, have to, you don't have to bring it up. We're I, not I, allowed to say that we're talking about things later. Now we have to sure, talk sure, about sure. it. Sure, sure. No, we don't. We're, we're going to get back to it in a minute because we're going to go over some <laughs> trivia stuff later. Anyways, there's another ethical discussion about the cure. Rogue is super interested because as anyone who's seen these movies or read the comics knows, Rogue's power is basically when she touches people she absorbs their energy their life force their power their whatever so she can't even like make out with her boyfriend without basically killing him so she's like a cure that sounds great um however storm not so into it she's like there's nothing wrong with us there's nothing to cure um not feeling this at all uh we then have a scene where magneto shows up at like a mutant meeting where they're like upset about this cure thing and he's like listen follow me and we will make sure that we do not get genocided today. And he already has Pyro, who he like adopted into his crew from the last movie. But he now gets Speedy and Porcupine added to his crew. Who is uh, who? Who plays Porcupine? That actor. Have we seen him in something else? I went to look him up, and I didn't get very far. I think we have seen him in something else, but I don't remember. I know the actress who plays Speedy because she was in the last season of Once Upon a Time. She was one of the main characters. And yes, audience, I watch. All seven seasons of Once Upon a Time. What? What about it? Oh my I'm God. not the most surprising part of that. The most surprising part of that sentence is I had no idea there were seven seasons. That's crazy talk. Yes. Um, <laughs> moving, moving right along. Uh, the next scene we see Magneto starting to stage a breakout with Mystique. Um, it's important to point out here that this this scene resembles greatly the recent Deadpool two scene of breaking a character out of a moving like eighteen wheeler. In more ways than one, they, both scenes involved the juggernaut. It's crazy. They, they feel like maybe in the new Deadpool, they were just trying to make up for how much better the scene could have been in this movie. They were fixing the movie. Oh, my God. We've got more movie fixers. I, so I, yeah, I make a motion that Deadpool is now an honorary movie fixer. Do I have uh, a second? Change, change approved. Change approved. Okay. Deadpool, you're a movie fixer. Come on our show. Congratulations, Deadpool. Um, Beast is now going to a facility where there's a mutant being held that is the source of the cure. Uh, Beast experiences not being a beast. It's important to point out that he only experiences this in his right hand. As he gets close to this kid, this like young mutant child, 
uh, it deactivates the mutant gene, the mutant X gene, they keep calling it. So oh, for a minute, so many he's issues. no longer like blue and furry. Um, which, which is not a mutant power of his. Sure, but anyway, sure, keep sure. going. There are two main. There are two characters in this movie specifically. Well, actually, three maybe. There's a few characters in this movie that aren't actually mutants, especially in the source material. So this whole mutant cure thing doesn't really work like that. Mm-hmm. But I think that's also why they had to change it. Um, Scott goes to the lake. We still got Scott uh, putzing around, don't we? Scott goes to the lake looking hey. for Jean Grey. The lake where that lake that formed when the dam burst in the last movie. Uh, he fries the lake with his heat vision, thereby killing all of the wildlife. Way to go, Scott. It's not heat vision. Come on. Well, this, this is a podcast for nerds. She wrote heat vision, and I'm taking You're right. It's an optic blast. It's a concussive blast. It oh, may, you're right. You may see it, it, it's the only heat it causes is from the friction of, you know, whatever it's streaking past. Well, I mean, technically, that's what heat is. It's just vibrating things. Right. But, this but is heat vision fi- implies like Superman la- eye lasers. I, I, I just, you. I got it. I feel you. It's my favorite character. I got to, I got to get these right. I feel you. Okay. But anyway, so he he somehow frees Jean Grey, who can now somehow control Scott's powers, and she kills him as the Dark Phoenix. Uh, the team goes out looking for him, and they find Jean Grey in Scott's glasses just kind of hovering in the air. They lay out how super powerful she is because she is super powerful. Uh, there's an exposition where we find out that this Phoenix character is actually a dual personality that popped up in Jean Grey as a child. And the professor has been setting up mental blocks to like keep this thing at bay ever since. Um, it's kind of unclear. It seems like um, the professor setting up the mem- mental blocks sort of is what created the, the Dark Phoenix dual personality or whether it was it presented itself and then he started blocking it out. It's a little unclear here, but that's basically that's how that works. Uh, we then see Angel again for the first time since the beginning. He is about to get the cure, um, but then decided he doesn't want it, and he breaks out and busts out of a window and a real pretty leap. Hey, hey what big... is Angel's mutant power? Just curious. Are, are we being facetious right now? Yes, I'm being facetious, but the audience might want to know. Okay, we're, we're going to get through the synopsis, and then we can make fun of it more. I don't, I don't know what the, how to answer that. He has uh, angel will, wings. That's his mutant power. I thought, okay, keep going. I guess so. He can fly through the power of... Angel wings. Angel wings. All right. Uh, we're finally back to the breaking out of Mystique from the, the truck. There was a huge pause in the middle of this breakout scene. Really weird. Uh, Magneto trashes everything. Mystique reveals the mutant that's the source of the cure. Uh, then they let everybody go. Mystique gets shot by this gun that the government has come up with that has a cure dart in it. And she is no longer a mutant. And Magneto is all like, oh, that's such a pity. You used to be so cool. And then straight up leaves her naked ass on the floor. Like, really? Like, sometimes you're like, I like Magneto. And then sometimes you're like, oh, he's the worst. Magneto's the total worst. So He, he is he, the villain. For sure. But he's like a, he's one of those villains that you, like, sometimes relate to. And, like, that's on purpose. But moments like this, you're, like, reminded that he's a villain for sure. Uh, Hank McCoy beast meets with the president and basically chooses mutants over the government. Surprise, surprise. Jean wakes up from her dark Phoenix coma and is immediately, she starts like hitting on Logan and they make out real hardcore. And then Wolverine is all like mentioning professor X and she loses it. He finally asks about Scott and, and they like have this whole moment and she busts out all dark Phoenix and it's crazy time. Um, Magneto, with his henchmen, they find out about Jean Grey. I don't know how do they. Um, oh, I guess. Oh, because one of Speedy her... has the ability to track mutants. It's sure, sure, sure. It's a really yeah. great plot device. Aside from being super fast, she can also track uh, the different 
power levels of mutants. So because Jean's so powerful, she can like seriously hone in on her. Right. And they they say that she detects basically she detects another disturbance in the force, including a um, a the class five or higher. I think she said a, a mutant more powerful than you. And of course. Mm-hmm. Magneto's like mm, that's damn, funny that in Ghostbusters really Slimer was a class five uh, free floating vapor I wonder if he has the powers of Jean Grey that is something worth exploring for sure mm-hmm. definitely right, an interesting Storm, crossover Storm and Professor X find Wolverine all like beat up and then they go after Jean Grey they encounter Magneto and both go after Jean the professor wants to help and Magneto wants to use her all hell breaks loose the two sides fight while Jean keeps keeps professor x from setting up blocks to control the phoenix and then she basically obliterates like poofs professor x and everybody's super sad about it and magneto who is literally professor x's best friend since childhood is like sort of heartbroken over it but really he's just like damn this girl is i mean fine. not childhood but yeah they're they've been but close like for a long time yeah and so he, like, like you and me he picks up gene gray off the floor and says, you're with me now, girl. And she doesn't really fight him over it. And that's really if, that G- if Jean Grey turned me to dust, would you, like, bring her on your team afterwards? Man, that's a really complicated discussion. I would be really upset, though. Like, more upset than Magneto is, for sure. Yeah. I wonder uh, which they, of us would be Xavier and which of us would be Magneto. Yeah, like, mm, I don't know. I feel like you're a little more Magneto-y than me. But actually, no. maybe not. I was going to say, I feel like... Like something will happen to you, and then you'll finally like turn, and then I'll like be like, "No, Matt, but there are rules," and you're like, "But why are there rules?" And then we'll we'll fight, and the world will be our battlefield, and we'll you know see what happens. Sorry, everyone, movie movie fixers, we're uh, we're a dangerous crew. Apparently, all right. Uh, so, anyways, the next scene, they're mourning Professor X. They have like a funeral. Uh, Iceman Bobby is like flirting with Kitty Pride. They go ice that skating. That was quick. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was quick. Like, we killed off our most important and beloved character, and they have, like, a little funeral, and that's it. And now it, it's now it's time to cut back to the love triangle story. Basically, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Bobby and Kitty Pride are flirting with each other. Rogue is just, like, not having it, and she decides she's going to go get that cure for herself. Magneto uh, tried to get on Jean's good side, but she suspects he has ulterior motives. Good one there, Jean. Dadoy, for sure. <laughs> Angel shows up at the school, like... Hey, you guys got any room for me? And they're like, no, sorry, school's closed. Professor X died. And then Storm's like, you know what? It's not closed. We're going to find you a room. And then Bobby's like, where the hell is Rogue? That's that scene. Okay. Gene. Yep. (laughs) Gene starts calling out to Wolverine via Bluetooth, something like via the airwaves. Telepathic, not telekinetic powers. Bluetooth, like I said. Storm and Wolverine have a talk about Gene being like gone or not. Like, is Gene still there or is it just the Dark Phoenix? And they're like, I don't know. We'll find out later in X-Men 3. Bobby goes after Rogue and ends up confronting Pyro. Pyro torches a clinic. It's very like blow up an abortion clinic, obviously. Um, Magneto straight up starts a war. That's yep. That's a scene. Government takes precautions and seizes control of the lab. Um, Wolverine faces off against some mutants in the forest who's, as he's trying to get to uh, Gene. Magneto rallies his troops and takes control over Wolverine because basically uh, Wolverine, if you don't know, listeners, has an adamantium uh, you know, metal skeleton and Magneto can control metal. So every time Wolverine gets anywhere near Magneto, Wolverine, or Magneto's just kind of like, oh, cool, a puppet. This is fun. 
So that happens a lot in these. I know that guy. Movies. Right. I mean, he even says something like, I can smell that adamantium a mile away. And it's like, yeah, he totally can. Why do you keep doing this, Wolverine? Mystique gives the government all the information because she is a woman scorned. And every so they start the government starts tracking Magneto and his like army, except they only find, oh, the multiple man. McSteamy yeah. from Grey's Anatomy is multiple man in this movie. And they I think have a question they, about that scene, this scene that you're talking about. You say Mystique gives the government the location of Magneto and everything and where to find him. Was that actually a trap or a distraction that she did intentionally or was she literally legitimately betraying him? Because it was not clear. Because she, she uses a lot That's of a, subterfuge throughout the movies. And at first I thought she was still helping him even though she was turned human. And then hearing you say it just now, it sounded more like you believe that it was she was legitimately turning on Magneto. Oh, I think she was legitimately turning on Magneto. And I think Magneto knew she was going to turn on him. And that's how uh, he was able to set that trap. Because okay. she was like legit mad, like actual mad. And wouldn't you have been like not only did you just lose your powers, but the man that you've been like, you know, treating as your like mentor and like senpai this whole time just like left you on the floor literally naked. And, I'm not like, saying it's unreasonable, but yeah, I was just I was still so not sure. That's my take on it. You're right. It is a little unclear, but I think that's what happened. Okay. So anyways, when they show up, they think they've caught Magneto, but it turns out it's multiple man just multiplying himself over and over again. Ha ha. Gotcha, government. Ha ha. Um, and what did this achieve? Is uh, this just how they lost track of him? Like, I didn't understand why multiple man needed to be there in the first place. Like, I guess to oh, distract it's because, them? It, yeah, it's a distraction as Magneto rolls into his actual plan, which is to, like, seize the clinic and destroy the cure. But there's a whole army still at the clinic. I guess I just, that, that scene, it didn't make any sense to me, but maybe it wasn't supposed to. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm following you. Anyways, okay. uh, so Magneto is important to point out. He's after the boy, the boy who's the source of the cure, because if he can take down the boy, if he can get rid of the boy, then there is no cure anymore, and it's not something to worry about. Um, so Wolverine has now gone back to the X-Men to kind of rally those troops. Uh, Magneto has, so again... The cure is located in a facility in Alcatraz, so of course we got to go to San Francisco. And being the biggest drama queen in the whole wide world, Magneto decides to uproot the Golden Gate Bridge to get his very small army. Frankly, it's like thirty to people. Alcatraz, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like there's such an easier way. He could have like commandeered a boat. He could, I mean, he could have dropped the Golden Gate Bridge on top of the giant lab of Alcatraz, thereby killing the boy you know he what? wants that to kill. You know what? That, too. I was just saying, like, the, the whole idea of using the Golden Gate Bridge as a bridge but relocating it is, like, classic drama queen Magneto. And it's I love it because that is definitely in character for him, for sure. Unfortunately. Um, so he picks up the Golden Gate Bridge and creates a new route to Alcatraz and they attack. A bunch of mutants are shot with the cure. The mutants fight back. The X-Men show up to defend the facility because that's how the X-Men roll. Uh, there's a pretty decent Kitty Pride juggernaut chase scene that just ends in a really stupid line that apparently is from the, from like a web meme or something. The I'm the juggernaut bitch. It's a Have really you never seen that? Line. No, I've never seen that. I've been told about it. It's a pretty it. funny meme. They completely botched it and missed the point. But they missed the point about everything that was Juggernaut. That's true. So. Also, I did not care for Vinnie Jones as Juggernaut, if I'm being really honest. But moving along. 
Um, where was I? Mutants fight back. X Men show up. They defend the facility. There's a there's the chase. Uh, yeah, because Kitty's trying to get in the facility to 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 save the boy. Uh, Juggernaut's been tasked with taking out the boy. Um, the bad guys kill a lot of scientists. Kitty grabs the boy, and Angel saves his dad. I forgot to point out earlier that his dad obviously works at like this facility with the cure. Um, yeah, he created the cure. Actually, the whole Angel uh, storyline was just kind of there's almost like no point to it really. It wasn't really completed, yeah. Um, Magneto and Pyro start their final attack. Final attack. Final wave. The X-Men work on taking them out. Bobby has a fight with Pyro because, obviously, ice against fire for sure. Um, Storm clouds things up like she does. Everybody has, like, a really cool superhero entrance in this final fight. Um, Except for Iceman. Except for Iceman. But Iceman gets something cool in a minute, though. Colossus does his, like, signature Wolverine throw. Like, that's one of my favorite moves in all of X-Men. Uh, but Magneto, once again, puppets Wolverine, because that's how it works. I want to point out that Jess, in her notes, keeps calling him Wolvie. I- I'm not saying it because I don't think I pull it off, but I think it's I think it's a really cute touch, and I appreciate it, Jess. We'll get her to read it next time. For sure. Uh, Beast stab Mag- stabs Magneto with the cure after like a bit of misdirection. Uh, it's kind of a big moment because Eric really prides himself in being a mutant. And that one thing that he loves the most about himself has now been stripped from him. And he's basically he, like on the ground writhing. He, and feeling he like prides him. himself on it, Matt. Wow. That was... Oh, my God. Yeah. It's a gay thing. You know how we gays are. We're super prideful. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the government still attacks after all this is going down and provokes the Phoenix. She straight up decimates all of them, like straight up like powder explosions of people. Um, and it's just like stripping, like everyone's fleeing. Um, Magneto sort of has a moment of like, oh, crap, maybe I screwed this up. So he, st- he even leaves. Uh, but Wolverine stays because he's got to stop her from destroying like everything. Uh, she tries to destroy him, but he's got like healing powers. So as he's like super slow motioning towards him and like his flesh is literally being like ripped off of his body, he's slowly regenerating that flesh and he's just trying to like get to her and he finally gets up to her and it's just like so dramatic and she just like is like, kill me. And he's like, I love you. And then he stabs her and kills her. And that's that's it, right? That's what happens. I, I, I have a question about this moment because yeah, go it, for it. Was, it was said multiple times that Wolverine was the only one who could stop Gene. I never understood why that was. Uh, and also we see, so the boy who they made, they used to make the cure, his whole thing is he nullifies mutant powers, right? Yeah. And if in this movie, the Phoenix is a mutant power, not an alien entity possessing Jean Grey, like in everything else. If, if that's the case, why not just walk the boy up to Jean and then like hit her with a tranquilizer? Because everybody else, as soon as they get within five feet of this this kid, mm-hmm. can't use their powers. Um, I just want to go on record as saying I agree with you. I also think you're skipping ahead because we're going to finish the synopsis and then talk about all this. No, I'm stuff. asking is is the, did they cover a reason not to do that? Did did I miss something there? I, not I'm, that I recall. No, you're totally right. They okay. they don't even go into because like Juggernaut isn't really a mutant. He got his powers from like a magic crystal or gem or something like that. Yeah, and you know, I can't pronounce it. There, there's like all these characters that aren't actually mutants, but this movie decides to make anything that's not like a human basically a mutant, which I kind of get from like a streamlining perspective, but it also sort of breaks things because you're right. If this kid can just be near a mutant and deactivate their powers, then 
one would definitely assume that would work for Gene as well. Okay, I wanted to make sure that I was right in thinking that was stupid. I didn't miss something. Uh, we we can break it down more uh, later. For sure. Um, and I just want to point out, you're actually better at picking up on these things than me. So really, if you didn't pick it up, then I probably didn't pick it up. Sometimes really you catch things I don't. Once or twice. It's, it's, I have a post it we're, we're the movie fixers, not movie fixer and Matt. That's true. That's true. That's true. All right. Um, okay. So this whole thing has happened, and he kills Jean Grey. Wah, wah. And he's real sad about it, because he loves Jean Grey, as uh, evidenced by his like screaming, no, because he loves her. Epilogue. We're back at the mansion. Rogue has come back to the mansion and said that she took the cure, so she can now hold Bobby's hand, and it's really sweet, I guess. Is oh, that... I want to point out that I said I guess. I want to point out that Bobby in the comics, Iceman is like straight up a level or you know a class five mutant as well. He's supposed to be super powerful, but up until this point has been kind of nerfed. There's a moment in this final battle where he like accesses his like next stage, I guess, and straight up becomes like Ice Form Bobby, and it's actually a really neat moment for a character I really like in the comics that sort of gets glossed over a bit. So I wanted to take a moment to point that out. I have a different opinion on it, but you're he's right, getting that like did happen. super flamethrowered by Pyro, and then he's like, not on my watch, and just goes like full Iceman and like headbutts him. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, okay, that's fun. Um, so now Beast is a, hu- a huge like government head honcho now after all this. I don't remember what his title is, but he's gotten a promotion, a mutant promotion. Oh, no, he's uh, the uh, ambassador uh, the, to, of, the, of the United States to the U.N., He's the oh, that's the right, because he says yeah. something about wanting to fight for all people, mutants. Well, yeah, the president. Yeah, yeah, he represents all people now. You know, he's yeah, you're he's totally right. Big uh, boy job. The 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 cure boy, the boy who's the source of the cure, is now at uh, the school for the gifted. He's now going to the 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 mutant school, which is a little weird. Like, I wonder, like, does he have to sit by himself so he's not act- deactivating people's powers? Like, what are the mechanics of that exactly? They're just in a regular classroom. They don't need their powers during class. True. It just seems like maybe disruptive, but I'd be curious to know more about that. Uh, Angel is last seen, once again, just kind of flying around the rebuilding of the Golden Gate because I guess he just flies around a lot. He doesn't really get a lot of lines in hey, this movie. Hey, he's out and proud, man. He's going to just fly his flag. Right? You're totally right. It's sad because Ben Foster plays um, Angel in this, and he's like a super talented actor and gets really underutilized in this movie. Uh, Magneto is playing chess by himself in a park like you do, but of yeah, course, because some no of the one pieces, got to arrest him afterwards. <laughs> right. I guess they didn't see him as a threat anymore is the best I can think of. But anyways, he's in the park by himself. And of course, half of the chess pieces are metal. And like the last little moment of the movie before credits is him like having a, like a little bit of an epiphany on his face because, you know, he's an actor, right? He can do a lot with like a little bit. And he and, and then he, it shows his hand over like the queen, the metal queen pawn or queen. Mm piece and it kind of shakes just a hair and then it cuts to credits which you know honestly super cool and dramatic but that's the end and then Very, um inception it is except for this was way before inception but yeah True. totally and then the final 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 you know scene that bit's also straight out of a comic right that him at the chessboard without his powers i know that now that you've told me cool. uh, and then the final 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 scene of the movie after the credits is because it's important to remember, Charles died. Like, Professor X, one of the most important characters in all of X-Mendom, died in this movie. Gene, like, tore him to pieces, or Phoenix did. And the very, very last scene, there was a discussion earlier in the film about some, was it a mutant or someone in a coma? I can't remember. 
No, um, yeah, one of during Xavier's lecture, uh, there was the issue of, and this was kind of weird to me, someone who is physically born like with everything but a consciousness. So they show like this comatose man, like full grown man. I'm just like, so they've just had this comatose body since childbirth. Like there was never a consciousness in it. It was just a body, which I don't understand how that happened. But okay, they were questioning what are the ethics of taking a dying person's consciousness with mutant psychic powers and moving it over into this healthy body, and is that ethical? Oh, that's I mean, right. That's right. That's right. I, so, anyways, at the at the very yeah, end of this so movie, that body. we find out that Charles's consciousness has been moved into this this body because Moira Taggart, who's a bigger character in the comics, and she's almost non-existent in the movie comes to check on this like patient and you hear Charles's voice say Moira. And then that's the very, very, very end of the movie. Would, would that's that our be movie. our first after credit scene in, in a comic book movie? Oh, I don't think so. Did when did we, we'd have to look up when this came out and then like when Iron Man and all them did their thing. Yeah. I don't know. We can, we can look that up. Maybe. So that's our, that's our synopsis. We did it shorter this time. Yeah, look at that. I we think we got it around half an hour, which is better than 43 minutes. According to Wikipedia, the very first after credit scene Is it the Muppet movie? Yeah, it looks like the Muppet movie in 1979. Oh, is that where Smoochums comes running through the uh, theater at the end? Yeah. Cool. Crazy. So, that's our movie. That's our synopsis as synopsed as we can right now. Uh, Tony, what'd you think about this movie? What's your initial reaction when you first saw it? And then your reaction having watched it again now? I, yeah, I was a lot younger when I first saw it, a lot more attached to the source material of the X-Men back in the day. And I think my initial reaction was rage. I think <laughs> rage, 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 fucking rage. <laughs> <laughs> Is uh, is a great reaction. Um, after watching it, I actually watched it today, right before the podcast, because uh, I'm a procrastinator, and I just I think would be the best emotion I felt. Um, I just so much frustration, as with many of these movies we talk about, because their potential was so there, and the the, the resources are there, and it just I think was was slopped together and kind of phoned in in a lot of places that just destroyed the movie yeah i mean i yeah. i feel you um but what about you matt how did you react to seeing this movie the first time and now um it, you know how bad i am with memory i don't really remember how i felt the first time i know i didn't like it and i i know i used to call brett ratner brett crapner because of this movie specifically um, I think he, I think I talked about this a tower little bit. Heist. He did, which actually wasn't. We won't get into that. It really wasn't that bad of a movie, if I'm being honest. But, anyways, he's just. I I think now I don't have that kind of rage like you're talking about. I just Jess, who wrote this synopsis for us, made a really good comment about like offensive mediocrity, and I feel feel like that's how I feel about Brett Ratner. Is he's just mediocre. A lot of his movies aren't necessarily terrible. They're just not all that good and that's kind of where this movie falls for me if i can remove the the like comic book fanboy stuff of like like the glaring one in this movie is that the phoenix force should be like an alien entity and not 
a like a bipolar disorder on the sake of Jean Grey. But if I remove those sorts of attachment to the source material, this movie is just basically mediocre to me. It's a bit of a mess. Um, there's just there's kind of too many storylines going all over the place. Like that whole scene that heist and the truck shouldn't have taken you know so long to cut in and out of this whole movie. Um, yeah, I I think the first time I saw this movie, I was mad about it because. Uh, especially because X2 at the time was one of the best comic book movies that had been made. So its predecessor was so good. And then for this one to be so mediocre was in the, the like offensive category for me. I think it's more offensive than if it was just bad, because when something's bad, it's bad. And you can kind of really focus on that when something's great. It's great. But when something's lukewarm medium, it, you just want to spit it out. Yeah, lost potential is a really, really sad thing, especially for adaptations specifically. Yeah. Um, well, before we get into some of the problems with this movie, I mean, we've definitely already touched on some of them. Let's let's just real quick talk about, uh, you know, what did, what did you like from this movie? What, what worked for you? What's well, our keep? Actually, there's a few things. Um, I'm going to name one of the obvious things and then save the other obvious thing for you. Uh, what worked is what always works, which is putting Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen together on screen. That. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, for sure. I think not just them, but there were a few good actors. I'm going to let you name uh, the other one because I know he's one of your favorites. Uh, that you couldn't, you couldn't get them to act bad if you wrote for a Brett Ratner movie. It's they just I like that. I wrote down in my notes, are these scenes good or are these actors incapable of doing wrong? Because like I felt like this movie wasn't going anywhere, but there were scenes that you you, you started to feel it. And I think that was when we're always talking about where the buck lies, you know, who's responsible. I think in this case, it was a strong performance from uh, some of the actors. I mean. We, we've learned uh, that, you know, through Westworld that James Marsden's even a really great actor when given, like, a role with substance. Unfortunately, he wasn't given that this time. Hey, and hey, he's amazing in Hairspray. How dare you? That's that's what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, other stuff I liked. I liked the... So, it, it is pulling from the source material, but I liked the two main storylines. There are two stories happening here. There's the mutant cure... And I like the how you can connect that to so many things, just like with mutants in general, how that relates to prejudice in our day and age, how the how that can connect to so many things in reality and, and the potential that that plot line had. And I'm a big fan of the Phoenix Force just in general. I'm a big fan of that storyline. I loved the uh, I'm a big fan of the 90s cartoon and I love how they handled it then. It was it wasn't just a two-parter. It was like there was the Phoenix and then there was the Dark Phoenix saga and there was just a little bit of in between there. And I love so the theme I, song from that show. Oh yeah, that was great. Uh, it's going to be stuck in my head now. Thank you. You're welcome. And I, I knew it when I did that, that that's what I was doing to you. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Excuse the paper rattling. I didn't type up my notes. If there was anything else I said was good. I remember getting like through the first 15 minutes of the film thinking, you know, this isn't so bad right now, but I also knew where it was going. So I, right. I didn't pretend it, that it it's was going to stay that, that, that way. Because I think I, I made the exact same note. Well, almost the exact same note. I feel like the first like third of the movie is actually not bad at all. Um, 
I love that that opening scene with uh, with Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen visiting a very young Jean Grey. Uh, it was mm-hmm. the first usage of that like uh, computer generated uh, de aging technique. And yeah, it's not as that, good as it is now, no, but I remember but it was the, a good scene. Well, and I remember at the time thinking like how impressive it looked. It, it doesn't hold up as well now, but it's funny because they're using a, a much better version of that exact same technology in the new Captain Marvel movie to de-age um, Coulson and uh, Nick Fury. Yeah, because Samuel L. Jackson needs de-aging. <laughs> Well, he needs a little bit now. He he finally reached an age where he needs just a little tiny bit of makeup, you know, <laughs> just a little bit though, just a little touch. That beautiful up. man. But um, yeah, I I agree with you. I think I remember sitting down to watch this movie again and being like, Ugh, I remember how much I hated this movie the first time, and that first, like I said, third of the movie is really not even terrible. It just kind of falls apart once the phoenix gets introduced, really. Um, but so to reference the thing that you referenced a second ago another thing that really works in this movie really works i'm a huge fan of the beast character in in the x-men universe he's just he's so cool he's just muscle and blue fur and science and like literally all the things that i love in any character and this casting i would think was kind of unconventional because had you told me in advance like oh we're gonna cast fraser crane as beast i was kind of like um, that's an interesting choice, but Kelsey Grammer totally works as the beast in this movie. Hank McCoy he gets it. He does. He's got the mannerisms. He's got the characterizations down and I don't know what they did with like prosthesis or fursuit or whatever, but the look even works. He's kind of somewhere in between like original beast and the more cat like beast they introduced in the later comics He's kind of somewhere in between there as far as character design, but he works so well and he, he kind of holds together parts of this movie. Yeah. I, I, I think his look was a little weak to me, but it's also maybe a sign of the times and what they could yeah. achieve then. I think I, had I they done that see... now, it would have worked better. Yeah. I think you get like a split second of them in the later film days of future past where Kelsey Grammer comes back. I would have loved to have seen that, look again with more detail and see how they can improve upon it because it was it, it was a little distracting to me just how prosthetic it looked but I I, I don't want to hate on that too much because I feel like they tried really hard and other people right like and I want to point out I will take that on. I will take that over crappy CGI any day of the week which is all we we're gonna get in so this much more forgiving of some crappy makeup effects than I am of some crappy computer generated effects I agree. I, I Computer effects were always meant to be a support, not something to just fall on. I mean, we're getting to the point where it's you can really truly lean on it. Right. But, but you got to recognize when you can and can't do that. And I think in this movie, they understood that they had to do it. They had to do it with prosthetics because they like they weren't at a place. Because I think I mean, this isn't too far from when they did the computer generated thing in Fantastic Four. Right. And it just didn't work. No, no, they were still doing the the other Fantastic Four series where they had Michael Chiklis in a rubber suit, which a lot of people didn't like. I honestly didn't mind. I didn't and either. I love Michael and again, Chiklis. I will take that over crappy CGI any day of the week. Yeah. So um, we're, well, we're forgiving any, there. Yeah, for sure. Any other things that like are really worth pointing out as as keepers in this, you know, remodel? there really isn't for me. And I mean, I I, I couldn't rack my brain and, and come up with something else. I think we've touched on them all. Okay. Okay. 
Well, with that in mind, uh, let's go ahead and let's have a chat. What, what are we fixing in this movie for you? Like, what are the, the standout projects that need addressing? Well, first, let me talk about what just didn't work for me. Uh, and I'm going to be I'm going to be able to cite examples if you want, but I think I can keep this pretty broad stroke. Um, the first thing is way too many stories happening in this movie. I, I think that the story of the mutant cure and the story of the Phoenix power are two A stories crammed into one movie. And that was that was too much. And the trying to connect them is is part of what really hurt this. Um I also, the, the, the B stories, as I call them, you're right, you've got Angel, I think was more of like a C story, which never really went anywhere. You've got Wolverine learning how to be part of a team still, because he's Wolverine. And you've got the love triangle that's gone from Rogue and Pyro and Iceman, which I guess wasn't really a love triangle, but was definitely kind of like a thing. I think the real love triangle was always Wolverine, Cyclops, and Jean, and I've never cared for that one either but we're not talking about those movies we're talking about this one and it was now like rogue uh bobby and kitty pride all kind of being in this sort of well they're together but they can't be together and so he likes her and i'm like that that, that could have i don't want to get rid of that i just i definitely want to give it more more substance and more of a purpose in the story other than just being the romantic element of the story. And so that's where that fell flat. Those are, those are like the bigger things. Um, aside from like the glaring character flaws, uh, I, I am going to get hung up on the fact that Jean's uh, Phoenix power is just part of her inherent mutant uh, ability. And they, in every possible way, got the juggernaut wrong. Uh, I mean, I, I don't dislike Vinnie Jones as a character. I even think maybe he could have done a good juggernaut, but strapping rubber muscles on him was just silly. And, you know, making him a mutant and making his mutant power be based on his momentum was just, uh, it's just silly. It was so, don't make him the juggernaut, make him something else, because the juggernaut is too big of an icon. So much so that they knew, they knew that, because they even did his, like, apparently not as popular as I thought, internet meme, that, you know, you haven't seen. I think it, it, is it was thing. probably a lot, I think I maybe saw it, I think it was a lot more popular at the time. Definitely, yeah. I it just, definitely... I remember, I remember having an idea that it was from, like, a meme, but not being mm -hmm. familiar with the actual meme. And that was the other thing that really bothered me with this movie, just kind of going into that. There were so many nods that were just phoned in. It was like, oh, look, here's the Sentinel. Oh, look, here's Colossus throwing Wolverine like he does in the Danger Room. Oh, look. And it just felt like there were so many little, oh, looks. Here's a nod to this. Here's a nod to that. But it didn't It didn't serve for anything other than you're supposed to freak out because you're a fanboy and you like these things, right? I don't like empty nods to content. It needs to have a purpose. It needs to be part of the story. You need to show me that you actually get this reference, that you're not just putting it in there so that I squee and ignore your lack of story or confusion of bad movie. And so that, along with... Um, I've, I've, also, I've decided to rename this movie based on my next uh, complaint, is this should have been X-Men... The last quip, because this movie had so many I'm, I'm quips in it. Just I mean, all of the movies had a little bit of sarcasm every now and then. Somebody get a quip in, and you kind of chuckle. This one, it was almost like every other line of dialogue was some sort of like quip about someone's power, or a quip about this, or just just 
all the time. I just, so many times in my notes, I'm like, really? Really? I mean, Magneto usually gets most of the quips in, but, you know, him and Wolverine, but this time it was like everybody, and it was just nonstop, and it was, none of them landed. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of any examples right now, but I think you are right that this movie, I mean, that was just kind of the writing style, I think, of a lot of these early comic book movies. Because I think well, they, even X1 and X2 had a lot of quips in them as well. Mm-hmm. Another thing, this is a fun little fact, and I think I'm right on this, but uh, people can fact check me. I think this is the first time we hear Storm's actual name said. Because I re- and I, I think this is true because in the movies, that is, in all three movies. Because when um, Beast looks at her and says, Aurora, I remember people in the theater who don't read the comics going, who? Like out loud, there was out loud vocal confusion in the theater. Who he just, what he just said. Like, was that a word? I, I, I don't know. I, I don't have the resources to look into it now. But I'm almost positive they say her name in the first X Men movie when she gets introduced. Because they made the 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 first X Men movie had a lot of like really blatant character introductions. Yeah, that's true. Maybe it was there. Okay, I know it was. But I, it was, I will it never concede this. I will concede this. I think since that very first introduction of her character name, this was probably the first time we've heard it. Everyone since called then. her Storm. There's yeah. Jean was Jean. Scott was, Cyclops was always Scott. Wolverine's always Logan. It's, it's it's always so weird. You're right. Everybody gets Storm. called by like their real name except for her, who gets her call name all the time. Or her, yeah, like, in in like name. social situations, everything. I mean, I feel like. In general, Storm gets downplayed as as like a character. She becomes more of just like well, some trivia. Uh, she did not want to come back from this for this movie at all. Um, she was very disappointed. Uh, Halle Berry, who plays Storm, she was very disappointed in her lack of character development in the first two movies. Yeah, and did not want to come back for this. And the only reason she agreed to come back. If I remember correctly, I want to say Patrick Stewart talked her into it. But basically in this movie, because she gets to take over the school as like the headmaster after Xavier dies is why Mm -hmm. she chose to come back for this project. Which would have been cool to see in future movies, except they've written out so many. They basically ended the franchise uh, with these characters because they killed so many of them and they neutered so many of them of their powers. And it was just like... that's another important thing to point out about this movie is 20th, 20th Century Fox, who, who made this movie, had every intention of this movie being... I mean, they even called it The Last Stand. It was going to be the last film in this trilogy and be the end of most of these characters, and then they were going to move on to just doing the origin movies, um, we, which we only got one of. We got Wolverine Origins, which, oof, Lord, I don't even know if we can fix that one. But um, they were going to end it, and uh, somewhere towards the end of production... They changed their mind and decided, oh, this is a franchise that we can keep going. So they had to go back and reshoot certain things like the whole storyline with Xavier getting moved to the other to the unconscious body to try and save some of these characters that they had already like kind of killed off. Um, Another important thing to point out about this movie is part of the reason why Scott uh, Cyclops's character gets sort of unceremoniously killed off in the very beginning and then never really mentioned or brought up again is uh just the the nature of making movies his shooting schedule didn't allow for him to commit to a lot of this movie so they chose to you know give him a big dramatic death i guess um and yeah so that's that's part of why that character got got nerfed so, so quickly. quickly yeah and if he happens to be your favorite x-man for really obvious reasons because he's cool 
in the comics and in the TV show, then, you know, you're just, as a fanboy, not thrilled. But it's okay. I have a fix for that. I have a fix for that issue. Taking that issue into account, I have a fix for that. But I guess I should uh, let you complain a little. I've been doing most of the griping here. What, if anything, that I haven't mentioned really fell flat for you? Uh, I mean, you really, you you hit the nail on the head with too many storylines. That's the biggest glaring issue with this movie isolated from you know obviously it's source material there's just too much going on i totally agree with you that the our two a stories could have been separate a stories in separate movies um if you're going to introduce a character like angel who's actually kind of cool in the comics you need to do more with him i i i kind of liked the idea of his storyline of you know he was born this one way his dad wasn't happy about it and he felt like shame and guilt for being born a certain way. Like it's certainly a storyline I can relate to. Uh, it just wasn't executed particularly well. Um, so that's my probably my biggest gripe is it's it's a little too convoluted for its own good. There's just there's kind of too many characters. Uh, you definitely get the impression in this one more than it's the previous two films that they were just trying to shove as many mutants as many characters in as they could without any sort of thought as to do all of them have enough time, like, you know, screen time and character oh, yeah. development time. You you got their powers in there that you didn't get any character from these characters. Exactly. I mean, and the Juggernaut's a great example of that. The Juggernaut's such a cool character. Um, for those that don't know in the comics, like, he's he's technically Charles Xavier's half-brother. Or no, half, no or stepbrother or half-brother? Stepbrother. They're, I believe they're stepbrothers. I don't... So I mean, there, I think, but yeah. stuff that stuff that doesn't get touched on at all in this movie, which is I guess kind of fine. But I think the reason we don't get any of those like relationships is they were more concerned with how many cool visual effects and powers can we cram into this movie, and less concerned with how much character development can we can we get into this movie. So yeah, my biggest those are my two biggest gripes: too many storylines, too many characters. Um, yeah, we just don't. So we don't get enough time to, uh, like when Xavier dies again, beloved character of comics and the movies. When he dies, we get this little funeral scene, which was kind of nice, but it just wasn't enough for us to feel like you know the audience needs a chance to grieve, and the audience isn't given really that chance to grieve. Yeah. Um, and definitely so with Scott. I mean, I remember when we saw this movie ages ago. I I, I made the really probably terrible joke about how I kept expecting Scott to just kind of jump out of a trash can somewhere because they don't, they, there's no real closure to his character or storyline. He's just gone. And then, so you're kind of like, oh, okay, well, if, since they didn't devote any time to like grieving that character, that probably means he's going to come back later and he doesn't. And they don't even allude to it. I mean, after a while, they don't even mention Scott anymore. They're just like all already over him. Um, you do see his headstone in the like, little graveyard plot at the end of the movie that that's creepy right to have like a graveyard just in the garden of the school like that like i get the one monument for xavier but to have like a whole graveyard at like start to line up you know in a school. i don't know that i agree i don't where else would they go you know an actual graveyard maybe just a little bit further out from the but school there's a lot of compl- land when when i say when somebody has a, a a property like that with lots of land like it's not unusual to i mean think about like a uh, wayne manor and burying the Waynes on property. Like, you're not going to take them to, like... They're at least in a mausoleum. I don't know. It just... Well, it depends on the version. I don't think it's that creepy, is all I'm saying. If I had a lot of land like that, I would want to be buried, like, on my property. I wouldn't want to be in some, like... 
and I will bury you on your property, Matt. But I'm going to put the headstone just a little oh, bit I'm away. From, so, you. I, so what are you talking see? about? <laughs> That's right. You're going to outlive us all. <laughs> begrudgingly so i'm not happy about it it's just gonna Make, happen making movie fixers you know long long after i'm gone um okay. yeah so that's that really summer you really hit the nail on the head with all everything you said the 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 characters and the overabundance of storylines are my biggest gripes with these movies lots of other things uh i mean kind of worked in this movie but those those are the two biggest biggest problems so why don't you I, I know you've mentioned a couple times that you've got some fixes in mind. I'm really excited to hear them. Uh, okay. Lay it on me. What's the fixes? So here's the first thing I want to propose, and I'm going to justify it. Um, I am going to fix this movie not into one movie, but two. I think it's probably obvious that I want to go there. And I justify it by the fact that even the studios recognized that this franchi franchise was still valuable, meaning we're going to have one story, and then the next one will follow it. And the first story I want to be and that I want to fix is The Mutant Cure. And okay. I want that to be a story. I want – because there's so much there that just gets rushed. There's so much about that. Like I feel like we could have a le legitimate discussion right now about this issue. You know, you're a mutant. They've created what they're calling a cure. Never mind that that terminology is horrible to the point where later the president at one point goes – load the load the gun or load the cure into the weapons or or, cre or load up load the men with cure weapons like they use the term i put it in quotes i need to find it i'm not going to find it because my notes are disheveled but it was called something to the effect of a cure weapon and i was just they call like, them cure weapons that's what they call them that is such a loaded term yeah i was just like wow <laughs> like just <laughs> feel that yeah <laughs> thank you <laughs> i'm glad that you always catch those um but no it was just i i remember thinking this movie is horrible right now but that just is such an impactful concept like that you can seriously like in a movie where people were taking this seriously and this was being done well to call something a cure weapon like if that doesn't just speak to like the the do duplicity of this whole thing like i gotta tell you i'm anti-cure and you know i i have a lot oh, for of sure well I'm and I, I think it's it's meant to be allegory but know? i think there's an argument for why you should i, I could also make the argument see i thought you were going to be pro-cure but if i need to i can take the pro-cure side because i mean it shouldn't be called a cure but should we call it a choice should we call it you know it's it's well, you know like with Rogue, it's her powers. Shouldn't she right. decide whether well, or not they to keep them? Explore this in the comics that you know there's there are lots of mutants that don't have super cool powers like shooting fire out of your hands that have that have mutations that aren't convenient or awesome. And the idea of having you know a quote unquote cure for those people is actually not a terrible idea. Um, I like the idea of the allegory of the cure being applied to all kinds of things. Obviously there's the blatant or at least what I feel is obvious, you know, the cure for homosexuality, but there's lots of discussion nowadays about um, like a, a quote unquote cure for autism and the idea that autism isn't some awful disease that needs curing that autistic people are just a different, you know, kind of people and they don't need to be cured in the first place. And I think you're you're totally right that spending a whole movie on this concept of a cure opens the door to spending more time for this philosophical conversation. Something uh, the X Men films have done through. well 
Yeah, mm-hmm. something the X-Men films have done well, and they did it once in this movie. Actually, it was one of the very first parts, and then it stopped. Was is they they because you know mutants uh, are always associated with prejudice. You'll hear a lot of kind of hate speech and terminology coming out of characters speaking against mutants, and all they do is adapt or fill in the word mutant instead of right. things that you hear. In instead re- of like God hates fags, there's signs that say God hates mutants. That right. Sort of thing. And, and in you, so, but it's still said the same way with the same inflection, with that same hatred or that same just dismissiveness. And, and it's always been that yeah. connection. You're like, Oh wait, that's what we're saying. Or that's what right. those people are well, saying. We've it, talked about this before. Science fiction and fantasy are at its, their best when they're holding a mirror up to actual issues in society. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can do so much when you're talking about aliens and superheroes and whatever and using them as allegory for real issues. It, it, it forces people to think about things in a way that had you just done, you know, a quote unquote like straight movie about an issue people might not be receptive to, or they might not necessarily make the connection. Because they already have their opinion, but X-Men exactly. are cool. Powers are cool. But yeah. now they're hearing this thing and they're they're more receptive to hearing it. The the time they they did it once, I thought so. Maybe you didn't, but I kind of picked up in the beginning when Angel's a little boy and he's trying to he's in the bathroom cutting his wings off, uh, and his father bursts in and he has this look and he just goes, "I knew it," and it was. But it sounded it, it looked like he just yeah caught his kid looking at you know yeah. I mean, yeah, one I thing is gay I, porn. Is that the right way? I feel maybe, maybe I'm just going to get my terminology wrong. I'm sorry. But but yeah, I, I was like, wow, that I was wondering if you like picked up on that, you know, like, if oh, that no, were, for sure. In fact, I made a note that by today's standards, because I, I, I just rewatched X one, two and three in preparation for this podcast. By today's same. standards, the allegory is almost like heavy handed. You know, like the 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 like you said, they just kind of took things that already existed, like sentences and whatnot, and replaced the words. So it it almost feels heavy handed by today's standards. But I mean, I I like it because it's, it's funny because it wasn't that long ago that movie came out that the fact that that's considered heavy handed now, it it just shows like a change of some kind in the times, even the winds they so are brief. changing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's like Xavier said. You know, things are are good right now, but we're cautious, you know, kind of, yeah. and maybe Ex- someone argued that's not true, uh, but uh, well, definitely Magneto. But that's, that's the other thing I like about this cure story is it's, it's all pretty much written. Magneto's still going to react the way he reacts. He's still mm-hmm. going to bring together an army. Uh, I think that at the end, instead of having you, you had the ending, you would have a much better choreographed, less lame version of that fight. Uh, yep, I know. Sure. I know you, I, I like Iceman too. Uh, I'm, but I'm sorry. I, I think, they were setting up that him and Pyro fight for three movies. They've they've been alluding to it, and I feel like it was the just lamest version of that we could have gotten. It was shot. Oh no no poorly. no! I no no no! I wasn't saying it was good. I was saying as a fan of Iceman, oh, I was okay. excited to finally see him like unlock that ability that we've yeah. been waiting for this whole to time. finally ice out. Like we have, like we've been waiting. Oh, it, for. Yeah, it then, assuredly the, could have been so much better. Like way. But better. then all he, uh, but then all he does is headbutt Pyro, and I'm right. just like, it was like really? okay, he finally unlocked the super cool ability. Yeah. And you're like, um. Well, you know when they're all this this is a small thing but when they're all jumping off the x-jet to like all the x-men to land in, for the final fight i made that comment about iceman not getting a cool landing because in my mind i kept thinking why doesn't he ice sled down he's always making those ice slides and and ice surfing his way probably down. to that save on budget 
I know that, but that was uh, that's just not where you spare expense. I agree point. with you wholeheartedly. I it would but. have been way cooler because everybody else got kind of a cool mm-hmm. like entrance, and you're totally right. He he should have like isolated down. Yeah, but do style. Because this movie follows directly after two, Gene can be missing, and there could actually be some time on that, so there's, like, gravitas. It's not like, oh, she died or is gone in the second yeah. one, and then well, it's, like, back within the first ten minutes of the first, the third one. That, right. There, there's, there's no impact. So let her be gone, and let Cyclops be looking for her, and let them be out of the movie. So James Marsden can go shoot whatever he's got to shoot, and can come back for movie four when we deal with the Phoenix saga. Couldn't agree more. In fact, the the second movie, the pre- previous film, ends with this like allusion to the Phoenix with like the because it's that big like sweeping shot of the new lake that was just formed, and you kind of see the outline of a Phoenix moving through the lake. Um, we could have had moments like that in this new movie, suggesting or alluding to the return. Save it for the after credits and have it be the ultimate teaser for the next one. And what is obvious to even Fox is a franchise. True, but I just, I mean, you could even still have, like, Wolverine hearing the voice or, like, those sorts of moments to kind of tease it out. But And they could they could yeah, still do I the totally, first class movie because I I, I totally, if, if we'd have done this this way, I could have tied these in better because I've got a great fix. I don't know. Is there anything else you want to talk about with the, with the Cure storyline? Um, I also think this is yeah, where I would do. Yeah, there is actually. Okay, uh, then I'll hold off on the Phoenix stuff. But this last thing I want to do here is this is where I would let Bobby Rogue and Kitty's relationship kind of come into like this would be relevant to the story. Rogue feels like she can't have a relationship, so she wants to lose her powers. But Bobby doesn't want her to stop being a mutant. Meanwhile, he 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 does struggle with the fact that he can't physically be close with her. Like it would have had, you could have used that so much more. I mean, I guess they did, but they didn't use it enough. It could have actually had weight in this story instead of her just disappearing for literally the latter half of the movie and just coming back with no powers. It was, it was wasted. It was wasted. And I, I think that could have, that could have played a great point because they were the younger crowd. So you'd have gotten the younger crowds take and you'd have had the older, you know, the, the aged X-Men, uh, you know, talking on their side, and they would still jump in and have to stop Mag- because the answer is not Magneto committing, you know, mass murder and also killing this mutant. But how much weight? Here's the other thing: how much weight was there not in the fact that they used the cure on Magneto? Like that should have rocked them. They took away his powers. Well, okay, so yeah, so you're touching on the last thing, and you actually touched on it a little bit with Rogue too. I think the they could in this new movie we're talking about play a lot more with the concept of identity you know it's something we talk about in like the gay community a lot is that like gay is just a part of me it's not all of who i am you can apply that to this whole mutant thing like if i lose my mutant abilities like is that am i losing a central part of my identity and you've got kind of two sides of it there you've got rogue who just wants to lose this thing that's that in her mind is just this hindrance and it's holding her back in her life. And then you've got Magneto who values being a mutant as his like entire identity to the point where like he doesn't consider himself a part of the human race anymore at all. So, and then you've got the whole storyline with mystique when she loses her powers, she's no longer a value to Magneto. She's not a, yeah. She's not a person to him anymore. So she has, you know, she Mystique's such a cool character. It's so sad that she got a little bit nerfed in this movie too. Actually, she's the other one. Now that I were, I was telling you that it was uh, James Marston and one other character that had conflicting schedules. She was the other one. There's a reason why she got kind of wrote out a little bit early in this movie. 
but well, and I would have liked to have seen still happen. So oh, for sure. But I, I yeah. would have liked to have seen more of that aftermath, because like in this movie, in the movie we're reviewing right now, you really you see her go to the government and spill all the secrets. But I would have liked to have seen more of her, like figuring out what who she is now that she's mm-hmm. not mystique. You know, is that does, has she completely lost herself or is there still someone is, is Raven still there somewhere or was or was Mystique just a part of Raven? Were we two different people? Uh, anyways, this whole like identity. Cure, yeah, it, yeah, this whole cure storyline has a whole identity element that is so underutilized in this movie. And if we can devote a whole movie to the cure storyline, that's something so much more interesting, I think, to explore with these characters. And what I was saying was when they 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 use the whole let's stab Magneto with the cure because it's the only way to stop him thing. OK, maybe. But then they're all like high five teamwork. We did it as a team. I'm like, no, you should all be mortified that you had to do that. You, oh, there, should, oh, there should be emotional consequence for that. And there was none. There should be so much emotional consequence that just didn't happen uh, at all. They they all just high fived afterwards like yeah we got him and that was that was dumb. Um, the last thing I want with this story is there needs to be a consequence to the cure. It was it was too seamless. Like a side effect or an effect. I don't know what yet. But well, I they feel do like- actually allude to that because they make it they they make it very clear early in the movie that it's a permanent cure in their words. And we find out in that last scene before the credits that it's not as permanent as they made it out to be but mm-hmm. i think but that would have been an interesting thing to introduce a lot sooner or or no i'm, I'm saying like a negative consequence say. like if you t- like something that they're not saying to people when they take this like this is doing more than just suppressing the mutant gene there's there there's got to be something kind of more dark behind the scenes about this and a reason that humanity's pushing it because because otherwise, because um, humanity needs to be a bit of the villain in this too. Like there has their, their agenda is a little too. I agree, clean. sort of. I don't know. I I kind of think the simplicity of it just being a cure makes the philosophical debate of it more interesting, because it's like, like from Rogue's perspective, there is no like, well, I can get cured, but this is gonna happen. Like if if it really is just a cure all, you know, quote unquote then it i think it makes it a much more interesting philosophical decision maybe but i think it makes it more grounded in reality if there's consequence and if it's if it's not all just that simple so it does you're right it does kind of hurt the philosophy of it a little bit but it it also makes it more believable in my opinion like something you can really start discussing because it's not just this perfect solution it doesn't have to I mean, be. What I, you, I, I was going to say, what, what's an example of this consequence that you're talking I about? I don't Like have it turns it. you blue or uh, <laughs> what do you mean? I don't know. I was thinking illness at first and I was like, no, it's too. I don't have it. So maybe we, maybe we leave it out. We put a pin in that. And if I can come up with something uh, yeah. before I was the podcast say, is over, then we add it. I feel like if I heard it, I'd be like, yeah, that works. But yeah, for right now, I think just it's it's, it's like I'm, I'm trying to add like. A, a second story balcony, but I don't have the support for it yet. I don't. I haven't built the supports. So <laughs> I was gonna say it sounds like you're trying to add an additional storyline to this movie that we're trying to reduce storylines to. <laughs> well, it's not additional. It's a, it's it's a change. It's it's an alteration to it. But but no, it's not necessary. So all right. So it, this movie, this new movie, mm-hmm. ends um, much the same. Like we've got a lot of a lot of the same 
elements of this ending, but we've omitted Gene altogether. Scott's been gone this whole time as well. Um, and so are we ending it with Eric's lost his powers still? Yeah. And Rogue and, has and, lost and, his powers? And the hint, well, jeez. Her powers? Yeah, yes, with the hint that they can come back, because we can Well, like I said, Rogue. I like the idea of introducing, instead of it being like a little stinger at the very end, introducing a little earlier that the this cure has proven permanent for some set of the mutant population, but there's a few, maybe at like the extra powerful ones like Magneto, where it's not quite taking, and maybe that leads us a little bit into the next movie. What if we discover, not in this movie, but in the next one, or it, because cause this would be a plot point, that instead of, the, that it, it only nullifies your powers for a time, and then they come back stronger. Ooh, so Magneto's yes. more powerful. Like, he comes he's doing those things he does in ever. some of the, well, he does stuff in the comics where he'll just, like, literally warp a city, because he can yeah. twist all the buildings into, like, shapes. And Rogue comes back not just with the absorbing power, but with abilities that she has had before. So maybe she could, I don't know, fly and be super I like strong. this idea because the way they introduce, again, we can fix how they do the Phoenix, but the way they introduce the Phoenix is being like so fucking powerful. If in the, in the next movie, having a couple characters come back even stronger balances it just a hair. I mean, obviously not on balance completely, mm -hmm. But I like this idea that maybe in this next in, in our next movie, X-Men four, um, the you know, the Dark Phoenix or whatever we're calling this movie, um, Eric is back and he is fully, fully like magnetoed at this point. Mm -hmm. And we can even kind of have him a similar I want this story to be the line. powerhouse movie. This needs to be all the powers unleashed. Yeah. You can even call it X Men Unleashed because like everybody like like We've got a few powerhouses that have been really understated. Storm's a powerhouse we never see. Iceman's a powerhouse we never see. Mm -hmm. Cyclops's optic blast can literally punch through mountains, and mm -hmm. we never get to see that in effect. So we've got some natural powerhouses. Then we get like Magneto coming back stronger. But it all, I think that's when we should see the Juggernaut is in the Phoenix one because Agreed. he makes a cameo in the uh, in the the. Con the cartoon phoenix saga and what's great is one of the alien characters picks him up and just like launches him across a lake <laughs> which is kind of awesome and i like the idea of of maintaining part of the storyline from this movie i like eric seeing the power in the phoenix and thinking mm -hmm. he can control it and use it to his advantage but i can then... do, i can do one better for you uh you want to maintain we like to maintain things you're right in the phoenix saga i can justify the duplicitous like the dual personality gene gray and I can do it by saying she's had the Phoenix for power for a long time. It's an alien entity, but she got it before we before Wolverine joined the X-Men. Because all of these involve Wolverine, and we've been following it since he joined the X-Men. But right. what if that's a saga that we refer to, then set aside for origin movies that they make later? Ah, I like But the it. real consequences is that Xavier's... I guess this is the same thing. Xavier has always known she's had this entity in her and he trapped it in her. So it's it's creating that second personality. It's the Phoenix. I mean, the Phoenix in the comic books is one of the most powerful forces in the universe. I, I mean, it's 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 only been destroyed once. And because it is, in fact, a Phoenix force, it re is reborn. But and it's it's back again. But it. It's so powerful that, you know, it's just been cramped up forever. And it's got like a serious grudge against Xavier for locking 
locking it up like that because, you know, he knew what was going to happen. And again, that consequence of what he did and that judgment doesn't just come from Logan, who who has no right to judge anybody, but from all of the X-Men. I mean, Cyclops mm-hmm. even maybe like, you know, you told me you got rid of it. You didn't tell me you did this. He's like, I, I did what I had to do. And, you know, now I'm paying the price. And now so we've got this refresh my memory. Movie. What in the comics in the source material the Fe- what's the phoenix's drive like what are they what's the phoenix after is so, it just dis- total destruction is that right n- well it's, it's destruction and rebirth uh across the galaxy so it, it so does what both. i'm wondering is if you know in the first half of this movie charles thinks that he's using using the phoenix to destroy mankind and then when it becomes clear that the phoenix's drive is to destroy all of life and re like like reboot earth basically then he begrudgingly has to work alongside the x-men and you said humankind. charles did you mean eric i meant eric i'm sorry okay, um, magneto sorry, sorry. Yeah. magneto is trying to control the phoenix and use it to destroy mankind realizes at one point that he can't a he cannot control the phoenix and mm-hmm. that he's going to have to work with the x-men and mankind to take down the phoenix otherwise everything gets destroyed Right. And so, yeah, he becomes this powerhouse, but now he's power mad. And he you're right. He does know about Gene's ability. And he it's like it's like the nuke card. You're not supposed to play that card. But now after having lost his powers, he's ready to just full on genocide. It's it, you know, it's it, no no asteroid M, no, no leaving, no Genosha. He's just full on genocide. And, right. And yeah, I think. I think he becomes the villain again, which is fine. He's a great villain. And he's an again, excellent he, villain. Yeah, the more Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart we can get squaring off, the the better the world is. That's the so, point. Are we in our in our movie fix? Did we lose Xavier in the last movie? Oh are we, no, that, are we? We're not that, doing that. That. Did, that just didn't. Well, no, because there's no Phoenix yet. Ah, good point. Yeah, good, 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 no. good, good. No, he, you know, he doesn't go out and fight. He, he, I just see him as you know, leading the X Men still, and you know this, you know, because he's going to be kind of a key part of this philosophical debate because I see him trying to stay neutral in it because, you know, he wants to argue both sides and he has, you know, because I mean, look at the way Storm reacted when she was talking about it. it's not a cure, it's not a cure. And he kind of conceded that it was, he called it that as so much like he, he's trying to see both sides of it the whole time. So he's trying not to just go out and, you know, control everybody because that's not his way. That's not his his thing. He says it in the beginning of the movie. That's not how I do things. I don't, you know, that's, I don't use my powers that way. And this is proof of that. He'll, he'll send in his X-Men because their whole thing is to keep the peace between humans and Magneto's forces. They're trying to stop, you know, a genocide, a murder of a mutant with a strange power and all of this stuff. You know, they're, they're trying to be the ones to keep peace. That's what the X-Men are actually about. It just doesn't always go well for them that way. Right. So how are we finishing out the, uh, this Phoenix movie? So the Phoenix movie, how do we want to fit? I mean, again, it's it's a it's a powerhouse fight. Obviously, Cyclops is going to be the one that connects with Gene, not Wolverine, because that makes no sense as irrelevant. Um, I mean, it just is. In the cartoon, the Phoenix leaves Jean Grey's body, but it's suffered too much from her inhabiting it. So she takes some of the life life force of all of the X Men and give it to give to Jean to like restore her, and that's how she's able to stay alive. Um, something to that. I mean, I always liked that. Maybe that's a little hokey, but again, I, I think part of the problem is, is that P- 
people are so afraid of the Phoenix being hokey because it's from space and it involves space, you know, powers and and space aliens. And I'm like, but that's just not true. Guardians of the Galaxy, right. Thor Ragnarok, they've well, proven think, to us this is. I think maybe at the time this movie was released, that's how people felt. But I think but we've we're had we're releasing so... the Cure movie then. <laughs> right, right. So I I agree. I think modern audiences have come around to more spacey wacy stuff and they would be more open to this Phoenix movie. But you know, they're not doing that in the current Phoenix movie that's coming out they're, I actually they're saying, did not know that. I was going to ask you if you knew how they were doing that. Cause they, they haven't gotten into detail, but they've said it's not going to involve space and everybody's already just like, what are you doing? Wait You've a minute. Ruined really? It. I literally thought I heard someone say the exact opposite of that the other day. Unless they've changed their minds. Uh, I was fairly certain that, it was not going to be a space. Well, we've already established that she has the power again. It, it, it's literally re, redoing what they did in Last Stand, which is funny because Days of Future Past worked. The, that movie worked so hard to literally retcon this movie we're fixing out of the canon. Yeah, and it really did. In a fun way, like in a way mm -hmm. that those of us that weren't very happy with X3 Last Stand we're just sitting in the theater, like sort of quietly to ourselves, like clapping and going, yes, I wasn't yes, quiet. Dude. I was very loud. I was being <laughs> <And> cheering. <laughs> I was being respectful of those around me. Yeah. But then they turn around and do Age of Apocalypse, which in my mind is one we should uh, look at visiting uh, for movie fixers in another time. And they we, uh, Jess and I talked about that a little bit when we were watching X3 together, like mm -hmm. Apocalypse, just so much potential, so much not follow through. I mean, he's a great fashionista, but that was about it. Sorry, wrong movie. We can't get into that. It's all good. So um, I, I'm really happy with our fixes. I mean, our fixes for this movie really mostly involve separating our two main storylines into two movies because it was too much and kind of reworking the Phoenix story from the well, not really from the ground up, because I like your idea of keeping the like a little bit of this Phoenix storyline of like. Xavier setting up the blocks and then maybe even thinking that it's just like a, a different personality for a little while before they find out what it really is. There's a way mm -hmm. to maintain a lot of it. The, the biggest thing I think we're changing that we're just like gutting and rehabbing is the end of this Phoenix storyline. I, I would want the Phoenix to be a character. I mean, obviously still Femke Jensen is, you know, going to be Jean and the Phoenix is inhabiting her, but I, I want the, the Phoenix to be an entity that, that you actually kind of can associate with somehow, whether it communicates directly or something, it needs to be more of a presence. I think part of the reason you're part of the reason it's so easy to use what they did with the Phoenix, like the material that we've got from X-Men last stand in this is there isn't much there's the Phoenix is just an ability. It's just a thing. And, and for mm. a good part of this movie, Gene does just literally stands there next to Magneto. Oh, for she sure. In fact, I made a note at one point that I was, when that mm -hmm. when we see her in the woods at one point, she's standing there in this like trench coat and this like corset looking thing. And I'm like, I'm really glad she had time in the middle of all this to go like pick out a really cute outfit to kind of stand around and brood. Hey, you know, when you're powerful enough, you can just make outfits out of your magic. Powers, That's actually so. what Hayden said. Hayden was like, oh, he probably just made that. Out she probably just made that outfit. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. She could even, the Phoenix could be, because that's the whole thing, is the Phoenix would be like becoming the dominant personality in Gene yep. at times. And that's when you could see it do something like jump Wolverine's bones. Because I, I, I made a note that the only reason Wolverine was the one who could stop Gene is because we needed to get Hugh Jackman's shirt off in this movie. So and you managed to get your shirt off. Right. It was it was the only reason because when he he finally kills her and he's sitting there holding her with like his muscles just like like just 
buffed up and swole and and it was just like oh that's why it had to be wolverine so we could do this scene we could still have something yeah. like that you know as a, as a side note and i texted you this the other day as a side note re-watching these first three movies i'd forgotten that like hugh jackman i mean he was still really muscly in that first x-men movie but he wasn't nearly as like jacked as he gets in these later movies and i just think it's funny that as he got older as hugh jackman the actor got older Wolverine the character got more jacked Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that's just that's kind of hilarious to me because that's what they wanted they wanted more jack he right more jack man but yeah it is Matt it's Hollywood setting just ridiculously unfair standards on men it's just the things they expect us to put our bodies through I really wish I had a soundboard for our podcast so I could like play a groaning sound right now like uh, uh. Uh, it's my favorite joke and I'm always going to go to it I like it all right. Well, I think we have adequately fixed X-Men 3 The Last Stand um, by mostly just kind of dividing it into two and, portions. And taking the time to give each portion its attention and mm-hmm. also removing all the horrible quips of dialogue. I'll just write these so they'll sound better. I'll get Jess to edit it for me. Right. I am. Um, yeah, I just I think this is a really great example of less is more. In, in, in a lot of movies, like more is not necessarily more, more mutants, more powers, more storylines, more love triangles doesn't make a better movie. Sometimes you got to really like edit, 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 cut it out, cut it out, cut it out. And there's a there's a good movie in here in X-Men 3 The Last Stand. We just got to like reduce it down now that we know what reducing is from Jake Bakes. Just reduce it down a little bit. And then we've got a pretty decent movie coming out of this movie right now. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about. Do you want to go ahead and talk about? Because our next episode is actually not going to be a traditional movie fixers episode. Do you want to go ahead and talk a little bit about what that's going to be? Well, yeah, sure. We've talked about on the podcast before doing smaller discussions on just topics about movies, uh, specifically just things in the movie verse. Uh, we we really wanted to talk about for this next podcast uh, just a quick talk on prequels and sequels and reboots and just there's not going to be like a, a strict focus it's, it's going to be kind of a, is one better than the other probably the answer is no but it's definitely worth looking at the the value each of those types of stories bring and also just I'm go- I would like to reminisce just in my experience like when each of those was really like in its heyday this was the fad absolutely think, well and we can also that- kind of share what um some sequels that work for us some sequels that don't same for prequels mm-hmm. same for reboots um yeah I'm excited about this this new format uh just to be clear this isn't going to be our new format forever and ever and ever we're going to try and mix in these little episodes with our mm-hmm. like uh, you know, focused movie fix episodes. We're doing, yeah, we're, we're, we're fixing about two movies a month. We, we try to get this out by bi-weekly when we can. And I think uh, we'll try and also sneak in one of these maybe once a month if we can. It's just between this and the other stuff we do with 30-something digital, we sometimes get overwhelmed. And we want to keep this podcast fun. It needs to be just yeah. you, me, hanging out, talking movies. And, oh, yeah, we've got an audience, which has been really vocal lately. And I want to just tell all of you thank you for uh, commenting and letting us know what you think of what we do. Absolutely. And speaking of our audience, uh, one of our most faithful listeners, Kurt, 
Uh, he recently asked if we could add an element to this podcast where we recommend things to watch because we had in our last airbender podcast mentioned how much we loved the tv show and then he went and binged watched the whole series and of course loved it because it's amazing and everyone should love it obviously but he asked if we had any other recommendations and we we talked about the idea of maybe kind of ending each episode with a recommendation for people that might be looking for something interesting to watch Yep, I've got something ready if uh, you don't. I definitely want to recommend something to you, Kurt, and then just uh, to everybody in general. Go for it. Give it, get, give, it, give it to me. All right, so this is sort of related to... I thought of this while watching X-Men The Last Stand because it had a lot of cameos. And one of those cameos was a woman whose name I am not going to get right, uh, but I'm going to try. It's Shora Agdashu. Yeah, we, but, we just call her Christian because that's her name in The Expanse. But yeah, I I love that you brought that up because when we were watching The Last Stand, I, I immediately, like before she even had a line, I was just like, oh, and I was like pointing at her and like staring at Hayden. And he goes, oh my God, it's her. <laughs> I had no idea she was in this movie. Yeah, so, and also that's what I was going to recommend. Thanks, Matt. I was going to recommend um, The Expanse because it is a, tele- a sci-fi show right now. It's had three seasons. If you can get your hands on any of them, I'd say check it out. She is an actress in it. Her character is amazing. It's set in, I guess, the distant future in our solar system. Uh, there's there's kind of like this, like the, the world is different, but it, it's, I don't want to say it's political. There's definitely like kind of a political edge to oh, it. Oh, there's definitely a political aspect to the storyline. There's, there's that, definitely that like works. a lot of mystery and some just really lovable characters and, you know, the stakes get high, but you know, there's also just the little guy and I'm trying not to spoil a whole bunch of it, but yeah, that's probably that's one hard of my to talk about without spoiling things, uh-huh. but it's been one of my favorite shows. I just get, it, it, I get so excited for it when yeah. it's on and it's a great show. I've, Rewatched it twice now. I'm already thinking about rewatching it a third time just because it's that dense. So it's lots of good content. So yeah, check out The Expanse. And since Matt kind of ruined that, also check out uh, just because it's recently come out for Rent and by Shape of Water. That is a great movie in no way related uh, to this. Great movie. Great, great. But movie. that is an amazing movie. For those uh, interested in watching The Expanse, uh, it's a Sci-Fi Channel original, but Sci-Fi canceled it because that's what Sci-Fi does. It hurts us. Uh, But Amazon did pick it up for the next season. So I think you can watch everything that's available right now on the Sci-Fi Channel website. Um, But I'm sure soon you'll be able to watch all of it on Amazon Prime since that's going to be its new home going forward. Um, And yeah, Shape of Water. Oh, my God. That's such a good movie. I love it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, my recommendation <laughs> is completely like off base of everything else, but, uh, Jess was here visiting, uh, this past weekend and we were just watching movie after movie after movie. And we realized that her husband had never seen Tootsie. So we rewatched Ooh. Tootsie again. And I just, I love that movie so much. I get giddy watching it because it's, the writing is so clever. Uh, the performances are so good. Dustin Hoffman, uh, basically plays, a, a struggling actor who, uh, through a series of 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 mad capery ends up auditioning for a role as like a, a southern older woman on some daytime talk show and gets the part so ends up leaving that leading this double life as you know both michael himself and dorothy michaels this alter ego and i one thing i love about this movie is that all the actors treated it like a drama you know they treated it very seriously because the situations were funny they were never trying to make the characterizations funny and it totally makes the movie work. 
Um, part of why I'm mentioning this is I'm going to get to see the pre-Broadway version of the musical this weekend. So I'm just really excited about Tootsie all around, and I can't wait to see the musical this weekend. I have also seen Tootsie. I agree. It is phenomenal. And if it wasn't very clear, if you haven't watched Avatar The Last Airbender, we're going to just recommend that at the end of every podcast, I think. Yeah. <laughs> you know you know what we stopped doing that I kind of wish we'd do again? Emma Stone? Uh, Emma Stone? We, we, what? <laughs> oh, sorry. We didn't technically do Emma Stone. We were just doing an Emma Stone bit for a while, and we stopped doing that. I know you were sad about it. Emma Stone? What was the Emma Stone bit? Weren't we talking about how every movie's better with no, not Emma Stone. I, I oh my goodness, Anna Kendrick. You actually, <laughs> Anna Kendrick. Oh, you Sorry, it. it's never coming back now. Oh, was that what I you thought, were? I thought we do? were. I thought we were going to start an Anna Kendrick fan oh, club, I'm and so she was going to be on the podcast. <laughs> but you've ruined it. It's over. Uh, the bit's done. You, you've officially. I, I tried to dig it up, and you just poured acid on the grave. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that I've ruined something that you love, I feel like we can adequately end this podcast. All right. Uh, you want to give us credits? Anna Kendrick bit. You want to give us uh, credits, or you want me to do credits? <laughs> Credits. Um, yes, I'll, I'm your host and co-producer Tony. With me is co-producer, co-host Matt. Executive producers are Hayden Smith and Chrissy Faith. And what am I forgetting? Uh, I want to thank Jess again for her notes on the synopsis for this episode. I look forward to more of those. And because we haven't mentioned it enough, I want to thank Nick, her husband, uh, who did the artwork for our channel. Um, thank you for an almost flattering caricature of myself. I really like that adorable. artwork a lot. Well, thank you. All right. Well, we'll see everybody on our next episode, sequels, prequels, and reboots. Uh, Tony, thanks for sitting in with me today to talk about X-Men 3. It's my pleasure as always, Matt. And thank you listeners for being here. We will see you on the next episode of Movie Fixers. Bye. <laughs>